This is Parenting for the Everyday, a podcast dedicated to meeting parents in the trenches of parenthood. We explore how our faith fits into our parenting. With the help of our guests, we are seeking practical tips on how the gospel can speak into our day-to-day parenting. From the easy stuff to the hard stuff, we want to talk about it all. Welcome to Parenting for the Everyday. I'm Holly Dykandrew. And I'm Becca Alvarez. And today we are in part one of a three-part series on mental health. We are talking about anxiety, which is one of those topics that has so many different avenues and conversations connected with it. We have done an episode before on anxiety. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it with Jonathan Holmes, it's definitely worth a listen. We really talk about uh, what anxiety is, really define it. Um, This time we want to talk about more practical tips as parents. How do we equip each other and our and our kids to navigate anxiety at different stages of our life. So um, I'm going to go ahead. We have two guests with us today, and I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Just tell us who you are, what you do, um, and why this topic matters to you. Um, Hi, I'm Christina Howarda. Um, I am married to Mike Howarda, who is a pastor here on staff. Um, We are a new family of five, which is really fun to say. Um, We have a son, Brayden, who's seven, um, a two-year-old whose name is Kaysen, and then we have a new baby girl, Briella, who is two months old. Um, I am a licensed independent social worker um, and a clinical counselor. Um, I actually practice here at CCC, out of the block, um, seeing children and adolescents. Yes. Uh, And I am Shannon Miller. Um, I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. Um, I work at Emerge Counseling Ministries in Akron, um, and I'm also a member at CCC. Um, my husband and I have been coming here probably 17 years at this point. So it was a huge part of our life. My husband and I actually met here in the block. Um, I love that. I didn't know that. Yeah, a long time That's ago. So, fun. Um, so it's really cool just to be back here. Um, and we are licensed foster parents. So we're presently waiting for our first placement. Yeah. Um, we're doing 12 and up. So people think we're a little crazy because <laughs> teenagers are my favorite thing. Um, but yeah, so we're really excited um, with whatever God's going to do with the next stages of our lives. I love that. You don't hear that very often. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. The topic anxiety seems like it's more and more relevant just in our day-to-day lives, but especially in adolescence and even younger than that. What makes the topic of anxiety something that you both are passionate about? Yeah, I mean, I think similar to what you're saying, like the more I've been in practice, the more I'm seeing it in my office. Um, I think current stats are one in four children and one in three teenagers. Wow. And girls are twice as likely as boys. So um, I think especially with COVID and then, you know, social media, like there's lots of factors, right? But I think that um, the rates of anxiety are only climbing. So its need is to be addressed is greater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was actually going to say that also, um, since COVID like numbers of, of teenagers that I've seen coming in, um, struggling with any number of things, but primarily anxiety and eating disorders has been crazy. Um, and I think just because of all of the unknowns that went along with COVID, uh, when kids don't have a lot of control, anxiety is more likely to be an issue. And, COVID, nobody had any control. So not even their parents who they're looking to for that sense of security and control, they didn't even have it. So I think that this day and age that we're in has a lot more complications than we're used to in that area. Yeah. So if somebody um, walks into your office and they would be diagnosed with anxiety, what kind of symptoms would you see to be able to make that diagnosis or to be able to treat that? What are you looking for? 
Well, I, I think I look for any any number of things. I mean, obviously, like as a licensed counselor, we have certain criteria, um, but especially with kids and teens, some of the things that I see um, overthinking is a huge one. Uh, and that can have an impact both like on their ability to focus at school, uh, but also on their ability to fall asleep. I always check in, you know, how okay. how is sleep for you? Oh, well, I lay up hours trying to fall asleep, but I can't because my brain won't shut off. I hear that phrase a lot. Um, and like fidgeting, the foot is tapping all the time. Um, and I think just a general sense of, of irritability too, just what frustration I'm not being heard. People don't understand what it is that's going on internally. Half the time they don't even understand what's going on. So that can kind of show up in how they interact with their parents, with their peers. Um, it can affect all different areas of their lives. I think it could be really helpful to know like what's happening physiologically when you experience anxiety, um, because I think it can speak to a lot of the symptoms that you see and then also how to address it. So. Um, hang with me for a minute. I like, I might I'm like, walk me through it. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so in his wisdom, God gave our bodies emergency response systems that are kicked into gear when we feel afraid. So um, our this whole process has started with our amygdala. So our amygdala is this tiny little almond-shaped piece in the back of our brain okay. that can perceive a threat before our prefrontal cortex, our like logical thinking, planning part of our brain up front, can even process it. So once our amygdala perceives a threat or danger, it will then kick into gear. And so your survival skills are, have started. Your sympathetic nervous system, your fight-or-flight mode has taken over. Um, and so when that happens, blood actually shifts away from your prefrontal cortex. And so your thinking and your logical planning brain starts to shut down. So to those irrational thoughts, um, to thoughts that kind of start and then snowball or spiral, like people will say, oh, I spiraled, um, to it getting stuck in this like continuous loop where you're just like fixated on this one worst case scenario and then that becomes your reality. So that's what happens with your thinking. Your brain, your logical brain shuts down. But then your body is also in fight or flight mode, right? So if that's the case, you are getting ready to either fight or to literally run. So your adrenal glands start secreting adrenaline. Your heart rate, your blood pressure, your um, breathing starts to go up. Your pupils actually dilate. Um, your blood flow starts to shift in your body to your larger muscle group. So it's going to like your arms, or your legs, so you can fire, literally you can run. run. Yeah. Yep. Your muscles are tensing. Um, it moves away. Your blood is moving away from your digestive system. So, um, you know, that can impact the way that digestion is happening, stomach aches, things like that. Um, blood actually leaves your skin so that if you were to get cut, you wouldn't bleed as much. Like, isn't that what? wild? wild. Like, it's we so are wild. fearfully yeah. and wonderfully made, y'all. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of play that out, you can see some of the, the symptoms, right? Like fast heart rate, yeah. your chest getting tight and it's harder to breathe. You're, with little kids, I'll say it's like you have butterflies in your stomach, but not the good kind. Or if you have adrenaline pumping through your body, it's like you have this extra energy that doesn't feel good or you don't know what to do with it. Or um, people get pale, right? Because your blood is leaving your your skin. Or um, you can get lightheaded or like your up close vision starts to get blurry because your pupils are dilated. So if you have test anxiety and you're looking at your paper, you're like, it's all fuzzy. Like it just, it's doing weird things with yeah. your vision. Um, lightheaded, headaches, clammy, things like that. That's wild. That yeah. All those physical things happen from anxiety. Yeah. And what's so crazy is with all those physical symptoms, it adds to such like exhaustion mm -hmm. and overstimulation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I've been reading a lot of 
postpartum things because Mm of having a little babe. Um, But the same thing happens when your infant is crying is Mm -hmm. that you go into a fight, flight or freeze mentality. And that's part of the reason that moms can feel so exhausted, not just because they're not sleeping at night, but also because you're almost constantly in this overstimulation and fight or flight response. So your whole body's reacting. It's just a fascinating thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And I think it's important to recognize too, like even if it's not an actual threat, it can like perceived threat can throw your body into all of that also. So just being mindful, like as parents, even if it, you know that the situation is safe, if your child perceives in their body that it's not, they could still be experiencing those reactions. Yeah, for sure. Like your amygdala is notorious for false alarms and your brain creates neural pathways. So the more frequently you interpret a type of situation as a threat, the easier and the quicker it is your brain then travels that neural pathway to Mm -hmm. say, oh, this is a threat or this is dangerous. So when you're anxious, your, your amygdala is activated and you go into fight or flight mode. And if you stay at, at that elevated state of risk for a long, long time, it throws your whole body out of balance yeah. too. So then you can be more likely to have autoimmune disorders and some other chronic illness just because you've been at such a heightened level of cortisol for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my mind, which already I'm learning is not right all the way, <laughs> but in my mind when I think of someone with anxiety, I am thinking a little bit of those panicked panic attacks. And it's good to know um, kind of the physical reasons behind it. But I guess my question is, um, does anxiety always present the same way in kids? So are we always going to see it? Okay, they have a panic attack, their stomach hurts. Or can you have a child who is acting out maybe behaviorally, and then it could actually be linked to, to anxiety? So is there a cookie cutter, this is anxiety, like symptoms, or is it way broader than we think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's broader. Like, while your body may experience similar things, the way it plays out is different, right? So, you know, I think Shannon hit on some of that stuff earlier. Like, it could be perfectionism or wanting to control, have more control, um, having the incessant questions because you're thinking, Mm -hmm. if I have more information, then I can feel more in control. Um, People-pleasing, right? Like, those are more obvious. But I also think... Um, I think ADHD gets misdiagnosed sometimes and it's actually anxiety because if you have all those things going on, you know, you're fidgety, you're having a hard time concentrating, you can't sit still, sometimes you can look impulsive. Um, I think also like anger or depression, it can come out in that way because if you have all of this going on all the time under the surface, then you can lash out or you are overwhelmed. So then you start to shut down and you get tearful and you isolate. And, um, so I think the way it plays out can look very different, but I also think it's important to say like, there's a continuum, right? Like there's a book that I'm reading recently that, that talks about anxiety on a worry continuum. And so if it starts with fear, Um, and then moves to worry, and then moves to anxiety, and then an anxiety disorder, you can experience anxiety without having an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Um, So. Like, can you have situational anxiety? Like, could it be like, oh, this one situation I'm really anxious about, (laughs) but I'm not, I don't have a diagnosis of anxiety. Usually with a diagnosis, we're looking at three simplified three things intensity duration usually it has to be present for at least six months um and then if it's impacting your daily life like interfering with daily functioning my husband would say that i have parking anxiety (laughs) parking situational anxiety Mm -hmm. because i will 
leave a place if there's not parking. Like I can't <laughs> do it. Yes, it's ridiculous. We're gonna work through that. Yeah, avoided sprinting today. Um, Christina, I love that you started with some of the physiological things that happen in our body and just the the God given design of our body. What role does faith play in anxiety? Um, I I think that that's can be a really loaded question yeah. oftentimes. You know, if we say that faith does play a role, does that invalidate the physiological stuff that is going on? Um, and I think that I think that faith can be an instrument of healing, but it can also be an instrument of condemnation. And it really mm-hmm. depends like what what we as the church, what we as parents do uh, in implementing faith in the lives of our kids. Um, and I think that I mean, for for me personally, anxiety has been something that I've struggled with for a long time, and I found a lot of hope um, and healing that, like, when I don't feel in control, I know that God is in control, Um, but that doesn't always stop the the fight and flight reactions that are going on in my brain. And so sometimes having somebody that can come alongside me and can validate, like, yeah, even even though like it's just a perceived threat, you're not really in danger. Your your body's still reacting as if you are, and so let me just validate like that is your experience, and let's let's figure out a solution to fix that. And that the solution can include prayer. It can include uh, being in a faith based environment, um, but it can also include like maybe we should maybe we should go talk to a counselor and do some more tangible things to work on that physiological part also. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember the fact that, like, we serve a God who is never anxious Mm -hmm. and who welcomes us openly to himself when we feel anxious. Um, And I think, you know, real peace only comes from the Lord and in his loving kindness. Like, that's what he offers us. Um, I think if we think about anxiety as a desire to control or even like a hope that, Um, things will always look or go a certain way or in contrast fear that they won't. Um, We know as believers that like we are not in control and that this world is broken, right? Like sin has fractured everything. And so things will never go exactly how we want them to. Um, And so anxiety needs truth because anxiety distorts. Anxiety distorts the truth. It distorts our thinking. It lies to us. And so our anxiety needs truth and needs truth to be reminded um, in those moments. So, you know, even things like you were saying, like, we serve a God who is good, who is in control, um, who loves us and promises to never leave us. In fact, he says he draws near to us in our suffering um, and he will work all things out for the good of those who love him. So that doesn't mean that it will be the good that I am picturing in this moment. Right. But the trust that like, OK, I am not in control, but the Lord is. And so um, I think even with our kids, like the more that we can lead our kids to Jesus in those moments to learn how to to come to him with our anxieties and then also personalize the gospel to them in those moments as much as we can. I think it's really important. So it doesn't negate any of the other coping skills and things that the Lord has also given us right. in wisdom to utilize when we need them. But it's important that our faith is always integrated into every part of our lives. Yeah. I think that's a big fear that I see a lot with clients that I work with that have anxiety. You know, if I'm anxious, does that mean that my faith in, in the Lord yeah. is not enough? Um, and a lot of guilt and shame that can come from that. And so I, th- I think a huge part is just making sure that like we are giving people an accurate 
picture of what grace in Christ mm-hmm. looks like. It doesn't mean that you will never struggle again just because you've trusted your your life to the Lord, but you know, what do we do in those struggles? How do we allow God to be present and walk with us through those things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like we're starting to kind of go into the territory of as parents, how can we help equip our kids to walk through this? Um, and the next question is kind of two part because one, I think there's um, we need to just really quick identify when we need to see someone else. So when do we as parents need to recognize, hey, I need some help. So I need to go reach out to a counselor or make an appointment with someone. And then there are also going to be times when I um, have a kid who's struggling with anxiety over a particular thing or for a particular season. So you mentioned like speaking truth to them and um, showing them the gospel. Can you give us some practical ways that as parents we can do that well? Or even, um, this is a three-part question, is is there, is it just in the moment of anxiety or even are there things we should be doing, you know, at other times? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I think when to get help, I think some of that's kind of like, uh, you know, listen to your gut a little bit. Um, I think, you know, getting help is never a bad thing. I think you can even ask your kids. Sometimes kids would want to have somebody else to talk to just a safe place where they feel like you don't know anything about me. This feels like easier to talk through things. Um, especially as kids get older, like if we're talking adolescence to have that safe space, that's going to stay private is judgment free. Um, just feels a little bit safer. Um, it can be hard to talk to your parents about stuff sometimes. No knock to parents. It's just, that's how adolescents go, you know? Um, so to bring in other voices, like that's only helpful. Um, if you're noticing like a very, like a, I said at the beginning, like duration, like if this has been going on consistently where you feel like it's really pervasive, like it never lets up or it's just constantly showing back up. Um, I think one of the things with anxiety that's diagnosable, especially is when you feel like it's kind of whack-a-mole, like the content actually (laughs) isn't the issue, but it's like, you're just always anxious and it's whatever your anxiety can grab onto. Um, And so when you start to see that, I think that can be an indicator of like, hey, this isn't just a situational anxiety. It's like anxiety that will pick any situation to to jump on. Um, I think for coping skills, I think if you think back to kind of what's going on in your brain and your body, when you're anxious, I think something that parents unintentionally, because you know, you didn't go to school like I did for the things that I went for, um, is they try to address the thinking. And if your prefrontal cortex is actually shutting down, like you are unable to logically think. So before you address any of those thoughts and do more of that kind of coping, you need to actually address just your body and your brain. The, so, phys- the physical part, you mean? The physical part, okay. exactly. Yeah, thanks for the clarification. Um, so breathing is really helpful in this. 20 seconds of deep breathing actually can reset your amygdala. So there's different types of breathing techniques that you can do. Um, a popular one is four, seven, eight breathing. It's like a breathing breathing cadence. So you breathe in through your nose for four seconds and then you hold for seven seconds and then you breathe out for eight seconds. Um, some people call it combat breathing because soldiers actually use it in combat. Um, square breathing or um, with little, with younger kids, I'll do rainbow breathing. So you're actually like taking your finger and on your leg, you're drawing a square or a rainbow. And so as you go across, you breathe in through your nose for four seconds. And then when you go down, you hold for four and then across, you breathe out for four and and then up you hold for four or with like a rainbow. I tried to do that with one younger kid and he was like, he just like couldn't think and do it all the same time. You know? So then you just do rainbow, like breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold for four. Um, 
with so, yeah. with breathing real fast. Yeah. If for the mamas or dads of toddlers too, if you do it, they are yes. likely mm-hmm. to do it. So often if Ezekiel's like really, really worked up and we're in the middle of a tantrum, I will just start breathing really hard of just like breathing all the way in and pushing out with my mouth. And then he'll slowly start to do it with me. And then we both kind of calm down. And uh, if you're feeling like you're ramping up as a parent, that can be really, really helpful for you too because mm-hmm. it's also calming you down yeah. as you're imitating for your little to to for calm sure. them down as well. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes with even younger kids, not toddler, but like in between kind of the like 10 and toddler age, we'll do like smell the flower, blow out the candle. Yeah. So anything that you can just kind of mm-hmm. like get them to focus on to then be doing that in through your nose, out through your mouth, deep breath, diaphragm okay. breathing. Once the body is calm and you have a bit of an older child, do you do some talking after that or do you just calm the body? Like are there words that you would encourage parents to use after something like that? Mm-hmm. Or maybe not use even. Or not use, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think you need to know your kid, right? Like some kids are more, I need time like and need to internally kind of handle it before I can then process it and other kids like are ready to go in the moment um I think kind of the combo of empathy and questions is really helpful so I think something that you kind of alluded to earlier on is how you know we can see a situation and be like that's that's not a threat like you Mm -hmm. know and um so I think validating and then following up with problem solving type questions is really helpful and validating doesn't have to mean you're affirming the truth of the scenario because like we said anxiety distorts but you're seeing your your kid you're you're noticing the feeling and you are acknowledging that so like I'm sorry that must be really hard what do you want to do about that right like don't fix it for them because I think the more that you can help them build their own internal voice and ability to problem solve you're helping them it's like you're teaching them how to fish, you know, like you're building the skill to do it in the future. Um, I think even questions like, what do you think Jesus would say to you in this moment? Or like, what would God want you to do in response to that? Right. So it's like, you're helping them begin to create this framework for how do I start to think through these things, but you're doing it with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you're showing them like, you're capable. Like, I don't need to fix this for you. I know that you can do it. So that when you're not there, they can start to say, okay, yes. remember, yep. what would God want me to do? Yes. Or, yeah. So like even, again, then going back to toddlers, like separation anxiety is a very developmentally appropriate thing. And so what I'll do with my kids is we'll kind of start with me being that voice. So if we're driving to church, I'll say, okay, we're going to go to church. Mommy's going to drop you off in class. You get to play with your friends. I'm going to go to service. And then when it's done, I'm going to come back and get you because mommy always comes back. So in the next week we come, I'm going to say, okay. We're going to church. Mommy's going to go into service. You're going to stay in your class. But then what's going to happen? And then we let, like, I would let Case and then respond that back to me because I'm helping him build that internal voice. So he doesn't need me to be the one always speaking it to him. He now has it. And he can him. remind himself yes. when I'm feeling scared. Mommy always comes back. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, and just going off of you know, when you have teenagers, sometimes how you approach them is going to be a little bit different than the younger kids. Um I find that a lot of what I do just in my job as a counselor is a whole lot of education, which I was not expecting when I first went into that field, um, but helping them to understand what is going on in my, in, in their own bodies, you know, how, why are they experiencing what they are? Um, so I'll talk all the time, like, you know, when you 
that fight or flight. I'll explain that a little bit to them. And like, you know, when, when you're feeling like that, you have a vagus nerve goes all the way up to the calming center of your brain. You don't have to use clinical terms with young people. Um, but when, when you put pressure on that nerve, it tells your brain it's time to calm down. So when you're feeling really tense, that's what we need to do. The best way we can do that is to inflate your lungs as big as they're going to go. Um, and I will actually encourage like, uh, a certain position to sit in when breathing um, because we want them to stomach breathe. But if you tell somebody who's like really panicky and anxious, like, oh, you need to breathe in this certain way, mm-hmm. that's just going to make them more tense and anxious. Um, but if you sit with your hands behind your knees um, and it brings your posture forward a little bit um, and sitting right in that position, taking a deep breath, it will automatically come out of their stomach. Um, so that can help. And if they're fidgety and anxious with their hands anyway, if the hands are under their knees, that can also be beneficial for that. So I use that position a lot. Um, I also use tapping. I don't know if, if that is something that is familiar with anybody, but um, we're tapping on certain acupuncture points as bilateral stimulation for your brain. Um, and it helps to re- reduce that cortisol level, so that stress hormone. Um, and I think they've done some studies on it that if you do tapping for a nine-minute span of time, it can reduce your stress and anxiety by up to 40%. Um, which is huge um, if you're somebody who is prone to anxiety, panic attacks, that sort of thing. Um, There's an app called The Tapping Solution that I recommend a lot. Um, On the app, it has a ton about like the science and the research behind why it works, but it it also has um, guided meditations um, that you could do with your kids if you wanted, Um, and they've got them for a bunch of different things, sleep, anger, uh, irritability, fear of flying, like all of the different things. and once you're kind of familiar with that, you can use the tapping with or without the meditations, but it's just a nice resource if you want to know more about that. Uh, I've had huge successes with my clients. I'll do it in session with them, have them do it on their own time. And for the for the ones that are really anxious, overthinking is keeping them from sleeping. Doing one of those before bed can be a really good part of a bedtime routine. And I've done it personally when you're staring at the ceiling and you know you have to be up early but can't fall asleep. <laughs> I will do that. And in five minutes or less, I'm, I feel physically tired because that tension that I'm carrying, that cortisol is decreased from where it was. So it can be hugely helpful. I'm going to say I love those tips and tricks mm-hmm. because not only are those really applicable for older mm-hmm. kids, teenagers, but also for parents. Yeah. Because I think that um, – Something else that we know about anxiety is that it can often transfer from parent to child. So if you are feeling pretty anxious and feel like you are giving some of that to your child, it might be a good thing to start practicing some Mm -hmm. of this. Other than some of those coping mechanisms that parents can also use, what are some other things that you guys would say would be a good um, thing to recognize if you're a parent and you feel like you're an anxious parent that you could recognize like, oh, I might be transferring some of this worry onto my child. I need to stop or some of those um, kind of just signs that will tell you I need to pause in order to help my child out. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what I read recently is that if you're an anxious parent, your your child is seven times more likely. Wow. Or you're seven times more likely to pass it on to your child. Um so, and I think if you weren't an anxious parent or person before, when you become a parent, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. it increases. Brings it out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because you get the things that you care deeply about yes. and you want to do well tend to be the things that kind of bring anxiety out in you. So, um, I think 
building our own self-awareness. Um, I think noticing if you have any telltale signs, yeah. right? Like for me, I've noticed if my chest starts to feel tight, I'm getting anxious. So whether that's like my child is not listening and behaving or my baby's crying and then my other child needs something from me, like whatever it may be, I can tell if my chest gets tight, I'm feeling anxious. And so, um, I try to pay attention to that, right? And everyone is going to have something that you can notice. Oh, this is my first signal that my body is starting to react in this way. Um, and so for me, like I will do the four, seven, eight breathing. That's what I like. Cause I feel like I can just, I'm holding my baby. I can do it. Like it's very easy to grab onto. Um, and then once I do that, I also really like the verse Isaiah 26, three, which is you, O Lord, keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Um, and so that just like centers my mind of like, okay, like the Lord promises me perfect peace if my mind is centered on him. Um, and so I think the more that you can do that as a parent is helpful, one, to help calm yourself down so you're not reacting to your kids out of an irrational place. Um, two, if you can model that with your kids, like that is very helpful. Sometimes I'll do that with Brayden. Like I'll say, okay, I notice I'm starting to feel really stressed out in this moment. And so I'm going to take a couple of minutes to take some deep breaths. Um, and I'll show him that I'm doing that because our kids learn from seeing more than they do from, you know, talking. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, how to help your kids in those moments Mm -hmm. as well, if you are already practicing it within yourself and you can notice it in your kids more, if you're paying attention to your own anxiety. Yeah. So as we start to wrap up, I just have one more question. Um, When you have a child that is maybe a little bit more fearful or a little bit more anxious, how do you know when to push and when not to? So, you know, I have a child that would uh, like his default would be to try nothing. And so I've had to kind of learn to be like, okay, nope, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of make you do this to show you that you can do it. Mm -hmm. But I struggle all the time with the idea of like, did I push too much? Did I not push enough? And so is there kind of some guidance you could offer to parents to help them to know when to push their kid and when to really um, let them have their space? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that can be a tricky dance. Um, And again, I think your gut is important to kind of know like what is my child capable of in this moment and how much can I push? Um, But I also think, like I kind of joked earlier, avoidance strengthens anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? So the more we avoid something, the more we think we have to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And again, if you go back to our brains, like we've then created this neural pathway that tells us whenever I come up against this thing, I need to avoid. And so um, there's actually a term in cognitive behavioral therapy called activate to generate, which is basically this idea that in order for us to change the stress response in our amygdala, we need to put ourselves in the stressful situation, right? You need to activate your amygdala to generate growth. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you, I think there's a couple of things to think about when you're doing that, right? I think one is expect worry and prep your kids, right? So if you're going to say like, okay, I understand that this is going to make you feel nervous. We know that that is going to happen. We know anxiety is going to pop up. So we are going to be prepared. If and when anxiety pops up, what are we going to do? So you kind of arm them with their plan of like, what coping skill are you going to use? Mm-hmm. Um, grounding techniques is another one we didn't talk about, but those are really helpful in anxiety because they um, kind of, if you if you think of anxiety making you feel very lofty grounding kind of grabs you by the ankles and pulls you back to the present moment grounds you. Um, and so anything sensory related can be really grounding. So like my high school students, I'll say, go to the bathroom and wash your hands because the cold water on your hands can be really grounding or, um, 
five, four, three, two, one is a really popular one. You're doing five things you see, four things you can feel, three things you can hear, two you can smell, and one you can taste. Um, and when I do that with kids, I'll say, like, really lean into it. So if, you know, I'm doing my jeans, I feel my jeans, and I'm going to rub my thumb against my jean and really think about that sensation. Um, and what can be helpful in that is then you can learn what sensation is most powerful for you, and then you can lean into that and kind of streamline it, right? So back to the question, if you know your son is going to go do something that makes him feel scared and touch is really helpful, then you can buy silly putty and he can have that with with him. And then he can start using that as a way to ground and calm himself. So you're, you're prepping them, you're expecting worry. So you know how to respond to it when it shows up. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think you do it gradually, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like, okay, I'm afraid to swim. So I'm just going to throw you in the water, right? It's like, what are the steps that we can break this into so that you can build your confidence, build your ability to say, oh, when I'm anxious, I don't have to run away. Like I can work through this and then I can build my confidence to know like I can do it. It's resiliency, right? Um, So I think you definitely should be pushing your kids, but it's just doing it in ways that's not like just shoving them into it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also empowering your kids to know themselves. It's something that I I say all the time to my clients is your your feelings are always valid, even if they aren't always rational. and And so getting into that headspace of like, I can validate that you feel what you feel, but that doesn't always mean that that's based in truth. Mm -hmm. You know, that anxiety, you think you you even said, like it can distort not only like our physical body's reactions, but mentally in our thought process. Is this based in truth or is this based in fear and trying to reorient your brain in that way? Um, And I would say also giving giving some empowerment, giving some choices where you're able to give choices. Obviously, like with the younger kids, especially like, okay, we're not just going to let you choose everything, but okay, would you like this for a snack or would you prefer this for a snack? Because then they have little bits of control and that can help to reduce anxiety. Or with teenagers, you know, this two of these, these are both safe options for you. You can have the power to choose which of these you want to go with. Um, And also letting them know like what the schedule is so that they can mentally prepare for that. I think the unknowns that might pop up tend to exasperate some of those feelings of anxiety. So just making sure that you as a parent can be aware of like, I know my child. I know that unknown things that pop up might be anxiety provoking. Let me give them as much forewarning as I can so that they can deal with that. Having the game plan is really good. Um, And also I ask the kids you know, when, when, when you're feeling anxious, what is something that you need from me? Do you need that space and time to just calm down with your silly putty? Do you need me to, to be here to listen? Would you like me to give you like helpful solutions on what you can do to fix this? Would you like me to do a tapping exercise or a breathing exercise with you? Um, and so just giving them the power to say what they need can also be huge yeah, mom, I need you to be here for this thing or actually like I just need some like time and space to do my breathing on my own. So it just kind of depends on on the kid. So letting them know themselves is huge in equipping them for the future. Those are such great and helpful tips. Christina and Shannon, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I learned so much and I really feel like this is helpful uh, for any of our parents listening. Just a reminder that this is a part one of a three-part series. Make sure you stay tuned and tune in to our next one. Thank you guys. This has been Parenting for the Everyday. If you or someone you know is struggling with anxiety, please go to our show notes and find resources available that can help.